0: Donald Miller starts his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, with a very striking observation. Uh, He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who really wanted a Volvo, and he saved up his money and got one, you wouldn't cry at the ending of the movie when he drove the car off the lot testing out the windshield wipers. Uh, He says, you wouldn't tell your friends to go see this amazing movie. You probably wouldn't even think about it the next day other than to maybe feel ripped off (laughs) that you spent 10 bucks watching it. And then he says, but so many of us spend years living exactly this kind of story. And then we wonder why our lives don't feel meaningful. And he makes the connection that the same elements that lead to a good story are the ones that contribute to a good and meaningful life. And so if we want to examine our lives, if we want to figure out what would make our life better, more meaningful, more profound, more fulfilling, it would be helpful to think about what's the story that we're writing each and every moment. And so to do that, he breaks down story into its simplest uh, explanation structure possible. Uh, Don Miller says, any story, it doesn't matter fiction, murder, romance, drama, horror, like, you know, whatever it is, any story is ultimately, essentially, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. All right, Any story that you ever read is going to have a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. This is the structure of all stories. And so think about it. Think about the last book you read or the last movie you watched. It's going to have this structure to it. There's, There's somebody who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. And then you can also notice how this isn't just fiction. This isn't just books or movies. Think about the people in your life that you know, that you admire. They tend to have this kind of structure as well. You know someone uh, who wants something and overcomes something to get it. You know, For me, I think about the legacy my dad uh, leaves. That he, from a young age, he knew that he wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to fly airplanes. Uh, and so he overcame a lot of things. Poverty and, and war and uh, and and college and, and all this stuff. And, and he, he became a pilot and he spent spent his whole life flying, and it's a great story. My dad's story is a good one of fulfillment. He had a thing he wanted, and he overcame conflict to get it. And yet, I think many of us live unexamined stories. We don't think about our lives in these terms, and we especially don't think about the things that we want. Uh, I think too often we inherit these from our culture or our family system, you know, the culture says, well, what you should want is a, is a nice house and a car and 2.4 kids, and that's what you should want. And so you just, without questioning, you just accept that and you move on. Or for example, in my family, uh, we kind of inherited some, some values, some desires. Um, both of my parents were the first ones in their families to go to college. And so it was just a given that my little sister and I would go to college, that we wanted a college education, because that's, that's not something you ask about, it's a part of your story. But as a result, we then grow up and we live lives where we have not even begun to ask ourselves the question, what do I really want? And is it even worthwhile, the thing that I want? And and when you have a bunch of individuals who have never examined their own stories, who have never thought about what they really want, they've just kind of passively accepted the things the culture has, um, has given them, and then you take those individuals and you put them in households or families where now there's a bunch of people who don't know what they want, who don't know what story they're writing, and now they're just living in adjacency to other people. And as a result, you get households that aren't, um, that aren't writing a story together. You get roommates who they live together out of financial convenience, or just because they live in the near, nearby place, or they work at the same company, uh, and they're not writing a larger story for this season of life, they're just, they're just living together for convenience. Or, or a single person who thinks that, well, my story doesn't actually begin until I start a family, until I meet that, that special someone, uh, and then, then we'll start writing my story. But in the meantime, they're just twiddling their thumbs, waiting for their real life to begin. Or on the other side, maybe you have empty nesters who, who they were writing a story for a long time, and then they successfully got their kids launched, and they're out of the house, and now they're done. <laughs> they finished the story, it was good, and now they can just kinda coast until the end. And they're not actively writing a story together. Or you think about spouses or parents that that have never examined their own stories, but then they they marry each other. And because they don't even know their own story, there's been no ability to write a a joint story together. Maybe they don't even have agreement on each other's story. They have different values or different things that they want. And now they're struggling in a family, in a marriage, because there's not been unity around the story that they're writing. The Bible actually describes this exact situation really well. And it's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, And if you don't know Proverbs, Proverbs was like the Pinterest of the Old Testament. Uh, it's the place you went where you just needed a, a pithy saying or some wise, uh, inspirational advice. You'd, you'd go to Proverbs and you'd just pull something out. And that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to look at Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, And it says this. It says, where there is no dream, the people run amok. This picture that that where there's not some some story that you're writing together, a dream, a vision for your life as a community, the people within the community just run wild. They've they've got nothing to keep them unified, focused, working together in the same direction for the same dream. I think it's really, really true, really accurate, Uh, not just because it's in the Bible, because I think it speaks to the deepest part of our hearts and our longings. Now, in fact, there's a movie came out last year that um, that the critics hated. Uh, it's got a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, but it's got a 90% rating from the audience, uh, and it went on to make almost $400 million last year. The, the movie was The Greatest Showman. Now, if you, if you haven't seen it, it's not a great movie. Uh, I'll just tell you. Uh, up front. It, it, you know, by every measure of art, you know, it's, it's kind of cheesy and obvious and cliche. And, and there are all sorts of problems with it, which is why the critics didn't like it. And yet, somehow, a, a movie musical in 2018 made $400 million. And I, I think it's because it got this, this idea right. That, that What this story was ultimately about was a man and a family who had such a strong, compelling dream that it drove um, everything that they did in life and all the things they accomplished. And I think audiences resonated with that piece of the movie. I think that's why that movie did so well, even though it wasn't necessarily the greatest movie. And just to give you a glimpse of this dream that the movie is, is pitching, I wanna show you a clip. The brightest colors fill my head A million dreams are keeping me awake. A million dreams, a million Movie, that dream was so strong, so compelling that it helped them overcome so many obstacles. You know, the theater burning down and, and rumors of infidelity and, and all these things were strong enough that, that their, fa- their household, their family was able to stay uh, on track through it all. And I don't know about you, I, I want that. that. That's a really compelling vision idea that, that my family could be so unified around a vision, uh, a dream, uh, that we could overcome any obstacle. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, we, we, don't, we don't really have that in my family uh, at the moment. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. When, when we were pregnant with our oldest daughter, um, first pregnant, I, I came home. I said, all right, now that we're going to have a baby, we're going to start a family. We need a family mission statement. We need to write one. And so we sat down and we worked so hard. Uh, and, uh, and I'll tell you this. That daughter is now nine years old, and uh, we still do not have a family mission statement Uh, Because I was never gonna find anything that that worked or that seemed right or that seemed epic enough or or important enough or or consistent with the Bible enough and there was always something uh, that that made me go back to the drawing board and start over. In the meantime, My wife just kind of quietly went around following the vision that she had, because she's the more proactive uh, one of us. And and I'm so glad, that story we shared before, uh, my wife just naturally invests in other people and she's always reaching out and and caring about other people's lives and building those kinds of bridges uh, and relationships. And and so it ended up being natural for me to just kind of go along with that. And I've seen the blessing of it, but I'm just lucky that I had a wife that had a dream worth following. Uh, that that was actually something powerful enough and important enough to invest in in our actual neighbors, and, and I've seen the fruit of that. But it didn't come out of writing a mission statement because it was, it was too um, overwhelming of a task, and it, and it felt too intense for me. But even if you were to do it, even if you do write down a mission statement, even if you have a vision, sometimes the vision is not big enough or, or, or strong enough uh, to really unify a family. Uh, Donald Miller, the author that I quoted, uh, shared this: that he, when he was a teenager, wrote down his dreams, and he had all these dreams. Uh, and top of the list was he wanted to be a best-selling author. And so he did all the hard things. He overcame the conflict. He he wrote a book uh, called Blue Like Jazz, and it became a huge uh, national phenomenon. Uh, and he became a bestseller at the age of 23. And then he was depressed because he'd, he'd done it, he'd accomplished his dream and life still wasn't that great. Uh, having the accomplishment wasn't, wasn't enough of a thing uh, for him. I tell you this, my heart goes out to the, I think about this every time we get to an Olympics year and, and I see all those young, the gymnasts especially, you know, the, the young men and women who at 13 win a gold medal and they're, they're the best in the world and then they realize, now what? <laughs> I got 60 more years. If this is the highlight, if this is the pinnacle, how is that dream that they've been striving for their whole young lives, now that it's been accomplished so early, what's left to do? And I think that's a real thing that faces us. We need something that is big enough. We need a dream that's not just about being a bestseller, winning a gold medal. Uh, we need something that's actually compelling and powerful enough to make our lives worthwhile for the 80, 10, you know, eighty hundred years that we've got to live them out. And so if we're going to look at this story, if we're going to try and find something, if the, if the idea is it's a character who wants something, we need to want something that's big enough, epic enough, grand enough to be worth wanting for your entire life. And a good place to start with that, in my opinion, is a guy named Joseph Campbell. Uh, If you haven't heard of him, he is the modern expert on story. Uh, In fact, they just released hours of interviews with him on Netflix uh, just a few months ago, uh, a documentary about all of his learnings and teaching. And and what Joseph Campbell did uh, was he went around the world and amassed all of the best stories from every culture uh, going back to the dawn of, of time, as long as we've got stories written down. And he looked at all of these stories, and he figured out these, these universal truths about myths and, and what it is that cultures value. And he noticed that no matter what your culture was or your background, it could be Eastern culture, Western, African, European, Asian, uh, it didn't matter. There were these commonalities, these common themes to the stories that people tell all around the globe. And one of them is this, that no matter what your culture is, the hero of a story is someone who gives his or her life for the sake of something bigger than themselves. A hero is someone who gives his or her life for the sake of something bigger than themselves. And and Joseph Campbell, he just notices that, that that it's so interesting that every culture has arrived at this conclusion, that there's no culture that actually says in its deepest, grandest myths, oh, you really should just live for yourself, and that's a great story. And he kind of just files that away as a curiosity, and I guess I'll make a little sidebar here, because I I notice this a lot with the scholars, where they notice something, and then they just kind of shrug or say, isn't that interesting that humans do that? And then they move on. Uh, Like one example, If you've ever heard of the Bible story about Noah and this great flood, right? That there was this flood that flooded the whole earth and only a few people survived in a boat. And academics and scholars, they look at that story and they say, that's not inspired word of God stuff. Like if you look at the Babylonians, they have a story about a flood too in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And so the Bible writers probably just copied it from the Babylonians. And then, people like Joseph Campbell noticed, well actually the Hindus in their sacred scriptures also have a flood story, and ancient Chinese culture has a flood story. Even the Greeks have a flood story where Zeus got mad at people and flooded everything and only a few people survived. And they they either filed away as, huh, they must be, uh, be copying from each other it's not actually inspired. Or maybe what Joseph Campbell say: maybe there's something innate in the human condition that, that they need to tell stories about destruction and survival to give them peace uh, in, in this world. But, but I, I, I come across that and I say, or maybe there was a flood. <laughs> and it was so cataclysmic that everyone is still talking about it. That the people who survived, that no matter what their culture became, no matter what myths or religions built up around it, they're all still saying there was this time where everything flooded and, and, and we learned a lot from that and we now tell stories about that. You know, and so they come with all these explanations where they say, oh, they must have, you know, somehow the ancient Jews copied from the Chinese you know, or, or, the, or the Hindus. And I go, or, how would they even, they didn't have internet back then. Uh, how would they have found out? Um, maybe there's something true. And so when Joseph Campbell looks around and he notices that every culture has independently come to this conclusion that the best stories are the ones where the hero gives his or her life to something greater than themselves, and he says, ah, maybe there's just something about the human condition that values that. And I would say, or maybe there is a true story that is the ancestor of all stories that have ever been told. Right? So let's go back to the, the, the simple structure that Don Miller gives us. All right? A story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And maybe the fundamental overriding truth of the universe is that there was a God who wanted more than anything to share his infinite love with humanity. In fact, he had so much love pouring out that he created human beings to be recipients of that divine love. But unfortunately, the humans broke that. They wanted to be gods themselves. That they, they didn't value or recognize the gift that they had been given. And so they broke their relationship with God. They, they wandered away. They said, we can do this without you. And so God has spent all of human history overcoming humans' brokenness and separation. And in fact, he was willing to do anything to overcome it up to and including becoming a human being himself. And letting those humans who thought they knew a better way, letting them put him to death so that he could conquer death on their behalf and say, this is how far I'm willing to go to show my infinite love for you. And that this story is the underlying truth that drives all other stories. And the reasons why cultures keep coming up with these myths where, where a hero gives his life for something bigger than themselves is because when, they, when you tap into the truth that God built into the fabric of the universe, built into our fabric, you're going to get pretty close to the God story. It's not a coincidence that heroes give their lives for something greater. It's not a coincidence that superhero movies, they're going like gangbusters and they always involve someone sacrificing their life for someone else. It's because when people write those stories, they're tapping into the truest story ever. Whether they realize it or not, whether they've read the Bible or not, they just feel that there's something powerful when you tell a story this way, when you live a story this way. And so if this is true, then this should be the thing that drives the vision, that drives the dream that we have for ourselves and for the people that we're sharing life with. All right, so I wanna explore this with you now. And again, I've already admitted this. I don't have a mission statement for my own family. We don't have one. Uh, And yet there are some truths that I think would guide if we ever did get around to writing one down. They're truths that I think informed the one that my wife just has kinda pushed us into through her own passions and desires. And they're truths that I think would and should inform the story that you would write for yourself and for your household or for your family. All right, so, so if God's story is true, then these are the things that become the right vision that help us write our story. And so the first principle is this, is not that you are broken or that you are messed up. So many people start there. The first principle is that you are loved. Mia just shared earlier in in the service this John 3.16 passage that says, this is the story that drives our stories. You are loved by God. And from that starting point, now we get to point two, which is that not only that, we are uniquely designed by that God for something powerful and meaningful. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created by God, his finest worksmanship, the, the most unique craftsmanship ever made and that he designed you from the dawn of time with something specific that you and only you could do. Guys, does this blow your mind? It's saying that God, he didn't make you out of some sort of um, cookie cutter mold where he just stamped out a bunch of you on an assembly line. It's, It's saying God made you specifically, It put you in your context, in your family, with your gifts and abilities, with the passions of your heart that he gave you, all of them together to live a life that no one could live except for you. There's no one that can live your story except for you. There's not just some generic one-size-fits-all Christian story that we're all supposed to live. There are some truths that are universal, but the story itself is as unique as you are. See, and if if we take these uh, as our our basic fundamental truths, then then it brings us to some next steps for our story. So then we're called, as people who have been loved by God, deeply, fully, sacrificially, we're called to love all of those around us. And now you start to see how this challenges the assumptions of the culture. See, when a character wants something, what they shouldn't necessarily want is to to love everybody because a lot of people uh, are jerks. Uh, A lot of people might try to come against your desires, might be obstacles to your story and keep you from the thing that you would actually want for your life. And yet the Bible says if if you trust this, then it's going to drive you to this. Because after all, even the people that are the meanest or the worst themselves have been loved by God and uniquely designed by him as well. And so when we love them, we're actually inviting them into a bigger, broader story than what they might be living in. And then from there, God says, you've got to love everybody, but specifically, there are going to be some people in your life that you're going to be asked to disciple. And disciples is just a word that means to pour into, to coach, to train, to raise up or lift them up into something bigger than what they might have settled for. And these four points are true for me, they're true for you, they're true even for people that don't uh, believe in God or know him, these things are true for them, that he loves them, he made them uniquely, he wants us to love everybody and he wants us to serve uh, and disciple some. And if we take these truths together, then we will be heroes who are giving our lives to something bigger than ourselves. And it's both scary and thrilling. I'll tell this for myself. When I was a young boy, I saw an episode of The Twilight Zone uh, with my parents. And in this episode, there was a librarian. And he was down in the basement, loved nothing more than to just read books. And he was down in the basement of the New York City Library when an atomic bomb went off and killed everybody in the United States, except him, because he was down in the basement. He survived the blast. And he came up after the end of his work shift and saw that everyone else was gone and he realized he could spend the rest of his life just reading books with no humans to interrupt him. And I saw that episode and I thought, that's my dream. (laughs) That's what I want. And and yet I've spent my life since that time realizing this truth that Joseph Campbell has picked up through his studies that the Bible reveals over and over again and that these truths show us that, that as delightful as it sounded to bookworm me, that if I were actually to live a life that the highest goal was just to get to read all day and not have pesky human beings interrupt me, it wouldn't actually be that fulfilling. It wouldn't be that great. That in fact, these truths drive me to write a story that's bigger and better than what might feel natural or what I might just desire for myself. And if we take this seriously, we're going to actually be inspired to, to write new stories for ourselves that we might never have considered. And in fact, if we take this seriously, it might not just fix our lives. It might change and transform our families and our households. So let's go back to Proverbs 29:18, but this time I want to do it uh, in the message translation because they put a different spin on it. So they say, the message puts it this way. If people can't see what God is doing in their lives, then they stumble all over themselves. If your household, if your family doesn't have a, a dream or an understanding of how God is working powerfully in their lives, then they will stumble all over themselves. But if they will attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed if they'll actually take God's vision and dream for their lives seriously as a community, as a family, as a house, then suddenly blessings abound. There's a story that Don Miller shares. I think we've even shared it here at this church, but it's just so powerful that it's worth sharing again. It's about a man, a friend of Don Miller's, whose family was kind of floundering, uh, his teenage daughter had gotten into drugs. She was dating a, a, a loser, a guy that didn't treat her well, didn't respect them. And they could feel that they were losing their daughter. And as this father was kind of lamenting, uh, you know, sharing uh, with his friend Don, Don was sharing with him some of this story language, this idea that, that you need something that's, that's bigger to want and desire and to overcome conflict for the sake of this thing, uh, that heroes give their lives to something bigger than themselves. And so he researched and he discovered that there was a ministry that that built orphanages in Mexico. And for $25,000, you could build an orphanage and help kids who needed it. And so without telling his wife or asking his family, he just committed to that. And then he called a family meeting, and it went terribly he said to them, guess what? I just blew $25,000 on an orphanage. And his wife said, that was, our, that was our life savings. That was our retirement. What are you thinking? And what he was thinking was he needed a better story. And it was hard. And his wife was mad at him. Don't do stuff like that without talking to your spouse, guys. Let's just, let me say that. His daughter was, was uh, really upset by this. You know, What are you doing? You're making me do this. And yet is he committed to it, he and his wife got to see sides of each other that they hadn't seen before, and, and they got to feel proud for each other that they were doing something bigger than themselves. Uh, his daughter, after she went down a couple of times to Mexico and got to be a hero to these kids, suddenly had a better story than the one she'd been living out. And when she came back to the States and when she saw the way her boyfriend treated her, she suddenly said, hang on, I'm, I'm worth more than that. Heroes don't need to be in stories where they're treated badly uh, by their boyfriends. And so she broke up with him. And as the dad said, she'd been a hero in a story all along. He just hadn't shown it to her. And once he did, everything changed. Now, you don't have to go buy an orphanage uh, to get that kind of a change in your life. But what I think we do need to do is to take seriously these four biblical truths that should guide our stories that if you are loved, if you are uniquely designed, then it's actually a holy thing to ask yourself, what are the deep and powerful things you want? It's actually okay. It's not arrogant or prideful or boastful. It's plumbing the depths of how God designed you to be. And then once you've figured out what your passions are, then to find a way to use them on behalf of others, to look at the people that God has placed around you and to figure out how can I love them? How can I be a person who loves anyone who comes in contact with me? And then just as importantly, how can I choose a select few? How can I find, uh, whether it's an orphanage in Mexico or whether it's the people I pass on my commute every day or whether it's the folks that are at my office uh, or the family that's put around me or the friends that my kids have, who's out there? that God's saying just look around and notice that you could pour into them. You could invest in them, you could love them, you could lift them up to something bigger. And if we do that, then we're living Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen. Then we're letting this vision from God, this dream that he has put on us, this story that he designed us to live, We're letting that drive ourselves, we're letting it drive our family, we're letting it drive our household, our roommates, our friends. And suddenly we're telling a story that's worth hearing, worth making a book about or a movie about, a story that you would be pleased and blessed and fulfilled to live. I know it's what I want for my household. I know it's what I want for us. I hope it's a step that you're inspired to take because it's something God definitely wants you to do. He wants a new story for you. It's why he gave you the best story there is. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I give you thanks that in writing the greatest story of all time, you included us in it. You invite us to join you in it. That when you gave your son, it was to not just out of your love for us, but also to model for us the way to love others. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would settle deeply on the hearts of those here. Your love and design for them. Help them to feel the confidence that comes from knowing that you gave up everything for each and every one of us. And then, Lord, I ask that you would use that confidence to give each and every one of us a specific calling. A person a group of people that we can pour into, someone who needs what we have to give. And Lord, that you would use us to write better stories for ourselves, for our families, and for the people around us. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.